Welcome to the BBC, a wax cast based on collaboration, not competition. Between Both Cheeks is a world filled with beauty, bums, and billions of bucks. The hosts of the BBC are Luba, the badass boss bitch, creator and owner of international brands and beauty salons. Becca, once newbie and now experienced enforcer, she's hatched out of her egg and manages business with authority and a smile. And Ashley, a straight, shooting, spicy Italian. Hot off the global circuit, she's got expertise to share. Welcome to the BBC! Bring me your balls. No, Kelly Clarkson! Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast was one of the best things that we have ever done. But it can be really overwhelming to start out. Where do you begin? How do you do it? All the things. So many questions, right? How do you record audio and have it just go out into the world, into people's headphones and into their cars while they're doing dishes and cleaning and out on walks? Like I, I, I can't say I understand the technology, but I can say that I know the easiest and the best way to do it. And that's with Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a podcast publishing platform and it's so easy to use and it can push your podcast out onto all major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Buzzsprout can get you there. It's what we use every week. It's so freaking easy. I can't stress that enough. Like we're still learning and Our audio isn't the best all the time because we use Zoom for a lot of our episodes still. But even if you guys start out with just Zoom or just sitting in your closet using the voice memo app on your phone, Buzzsprout makes it that much easier to get that content and that audio out into the world and you can start building a brand, improving your business, or just shooting the shits with your friends. (laughs) Shooting the shit with your friends. I don't know if I can say that on an ad. Anyways, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I super, 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 super encourage you to do so and go to our show notes, which is the show description, click on the link and you get to start your own podcast with Buzzsprout and you get an extra $20 Amazon gift card. It tells Buzzsprout that we've sent you and it really helps us out. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode. My name is Becca and I have Luba with me today. Hello. Ashley is on a different schedule, on a different planet than we are because of her new baby. Well, her young baby. It's not so new anymore, but her daughter is just not sleeping at all. So Ash is going crazy. But we have a very special guest with us today. She's a friend of mine and a local small business owner in Vancouver, Canada. And her name is Brianna. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So excited. So Brianna is a good friend of mine. And what we wanted to talk about today was regular small business stuff, using social media in your business how Brianna was able to go and quit her day job to just pursue her art, which is what she sells in her small business, as well as being an Indigenous business owner, and whether that's 
you know, had different barriers and weaknesses, or if it's actually turned out to be more of a beneficial thing. And all of the charity work that Brianna does through her business as well. And what sparked this conversation was Canada just had a holiday, and it was the first year the holiday exists, but it's not necessarily a bank holiday yet. And it's called the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And it's kind of, I mean, we'll get Brianna's opinion, but it's a holiday without any kind of extra work behind it, in my opinion, as a way for the Canadian government to apologize for how it has treated Indigenous people in the past and present. And Luba and I were talking about it and we were like, oh, we should talk about this on the podcast. And then I realized maybe it's not our place as two white women. (laughs) So I got my friend Brianna here because I know it's near and dear to her heart because she's posting all the education and quizzes and things. So Brianna, do you want to give us a little introduction, how you started your business and um, where you are now? Sure. Uh, So my name is Brianna Dice, and I am Olchako Dene from um, BC, and uh, right now I'm living in Vancouver on unceded territory of the Musqueam (laughs) 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 and uh, Squamish people. And uh, yeah, so my business is a uh, Indigenous beadwork and jewelry business. So I make a lot of earrings, necklaces, sometimes some um, accessories like purses. Becca's wearing some of my earrings, which is really fun. She's actually one of my top customers. Which is <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've been doing this for about um, a year and a half, roughly. And I've been doing it as my full-time job for, I think, around eight months. I quit my day job at the beginning of 2021. Wow. That's a big move. Mm-hmm. Scary. Scary. <laughs> Very yeah. scary. Really quick. Um, what is your website, social media? Just go yeah. up some listeners just so they want to pop on right now. Yeah. So my website is briannadice.com. Um, it's B-R-E-A-N-N-A-D-E-I-S.com. Uh, and then you can find me on social media at art by Brianna Dice. And you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes I post on Twitter, but not really. Okay. Unless everything else goes down, right? Yeah. <laughs> the other day it was all Twitter and TikTok. Yeah. yeah. So how has it been now that just the art is your full-time thing? Has it been yeah. consistent or, ha- or have you had a couple moments like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is going to pay the bills? Yeah. So when I started, I was kind of struggling with like, okay, I'm making this much in sales. I'm getting paid this much at my day job. Um, I can't really sell anymore because I'm running out of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where's the line where I quit my job and just go full in because I know more people want my stuff, but Mm -hmm. um, do I know it's going to be enough to cover how much I'm making from working? But at Mm -hmm. the end of my day job, I was only working like, I think, one or two days a week. So it's like, okay, I don't have to sell that much to really get there. Mm-hmm. And then since then, it's been pretty consistent um, every month. And it's been, yeah, it's been pretty consistent. The only thing that really held me back was in August, um, I started having like a wrist injury. Mm-hmm. So I got tendonitis in my hand and my wrist, um, just like a repetitive stress injury from literally beating oh, yeah. holding my hand in the same position. 
um, for six to 12 hours a day, depending on <laughs> how much I'm trying to get done. And uh, so that really held me back. I think I took almost like a month off of beating um, and I had to go to physio. I did like a month of physio and I was able to get back into it uh, just at the beginning of September. And now I'm going full force, but I'm still doing my exercises once in a while just to make sure that it doesn't come back. But that was kind of the main thing that I never thought of being an issue, mm. especially with something that isn't really that much of a strain on the body, you'd think. Mm -hmm. But it actually uh, did take quite a toll on me because I was just doing so much work, not resting, not really, um, not working out the right muscles because they're really mm ones that you never really would right uh, with like a regular you know upper body routine Brianna can I ask what you did for work before yeah so before I worked uh I was the head of marketing for a small local designer in Vancouver okay and I did that for uh I think I was there for like two or three years and then I left briefly to work in visual merchandising and then I went back um, as it was my last year of university and I wanted just a chill, I mean, it doesn't sound like a chill job, uh, but it's a small company. So it's, um, pretty easy. And I'd been there a long time. I knew exactly how to do my job, um, and how to do it well. So I did that cause I was in my fourth year university and my last semester, uh, when COVID hit was, uh, all online and I had like five classes. So, uh, yeah, I was just taking it easy and doing that. But yeah, so my um, degree is in uh, is business administration, marketing management. Um, so I have studied marketing for like four years of that. And then I also have a diploma in fashion marketing. So specifically kind of the business end of fashion, as well as things like um, the history, buying, styling, things like that. So all in the arts, all, all yeah. came from. All kind of arts and fashion. I had no idea that I was preparing myself to do this job. Yeah. I was training myself in exactly what I needed to know. Yeah. It's like a perfect match, hey? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just taking a look at your stuff right now. And I'm obsessed with the nude body collection. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so nice. Is that, that your most popular now, that style? Um, it's pretty popular. I don't know about the nude collection in particular, but definitely there's the same like little body body designs, but in yeah. the colorful range and people really love those too. Like, I think the first time I put them out, they sold out really quickly, like in an hour or something. And I did, I think I sold like 20, took 20 orders for them or something. That's a lot. And they're like $85 each. And I was just overwhelmed. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, there they are. I have one I'm working okay. on right now. You can, so cool. There you go. So and you cute. do everything by hand. So like the clay she makes, she stamps the stencil into it, the backing, the beading, the, yeah. the hardware, everything. Yeah, these are a cool one because uh, the nude collection in particular, I had to custom mix some of the colors to get different skin tones so I could try and get like a... Yeah accurate range because I wanted to have like a very fair tone all the way to a very deep tone as well as not having so many but having making it five but making it so it feels like it's representative of everybody mm -hmm. yeah I love that can you talk a little bit about um what you do in form of like giving back to different charities because I know you're very involved 
with choosing charities and donating a, pro- a portion of your sales or your proceeds mm-hmm. to those charities, does it change every month or, or do you just kind of pick a new one when there's a new social event happening? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, so uh, when I first started, um, I kind of, I released the cherry earrings that uh, Becca's wearing and I got this amazing response. I think I sold like a thousand dollars of them um, really quickly. And I was like, oh my God, like people love these. Like I had no idea. And, um, and I got a bunch of followers on TikTok and Instagram from it. And I was like, okay, like I kind of feel like I should give something back for this because like, this is just so nice. Like I, I just did this for fun. I made these for myself and now all these people love them. Um, so for my first donation, I donated to um, Black Lives Matter Vancouver. And then I think the other one was, it was a native charity. I don't remember which one it was. It was back in July, 2020, but I donated, I think like 250 between the two charities, just cause I was like, you know what? Like I made this money. I, you know, I have a job. This isn't what I'm trying to do. I just did it for fun. Right. Um, let's give some of that back as like a big thank you. Um, so the main reason that like I wanted to give back to charity is because and specifically kind of to um, the entire Native community is that this art is like it is an Indigenous art and I am Indigenous, but I still am kind of benefiting and making money um, from my culture. So I feel that it's important that if I am benefiting from my culture, that my culture should also benefit from me. Mm-hmm. Um So that's my kind of philosophy to what I'm doing. So uh, after that, I decided that I wanted to make that part of my business strategy and a part of my pricing strategy. So I donate a portion of my profits to it. So at the end of the month, I'll look at how much I made and I'll kind of take off um, all my expenses just to make sure that (laughs) those are covered and that I pay my own bills and I pay myself fair. And then what I have left over, I'll, tr- I'll donate like around 10% of that um, to different uh, BIPOC charities. So I've done a bunch. There's like the Gordon Downey Chani Wenjack Fund, which is about uh, educating people about indigenous issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I've donated specifically to, like you said, to um, kind of trending issues at the time. So I think back in the spring, I don't remember, when um, the Mi'kmaq fishers were having a lot of issues with white fishing. Um, I donated to uh, the specific tribe to their livelihood fisheries. Um, and then also to food bank relief um, for uh, the fires that were happening up north. Wow. Um, and then some more general ones like Native Women's Association of Canada, Legacy of Hope. Um, that one's specifically about residential schools. Um, there's Braided Warriors who are, it's more of a mutual aid 
and they are activists in the uh, BC Vancouver area and they're the people that you see protesting at like all the banks for instance in regards to um, the Trans Mountain Pump pipeline to line three etc so they're the people who are working on the front lines um, so to support them and then also I think during the summer I donated to Stop the Asian Hate uh, just with COVID, that was another one. Um, Moontime Sisters is a cool one. So they are a charity in Northern uh, Canada that uh, donates period products to people in mm. remote communities because of period poverty and their lack of access to affordable menstrual products. Um, and then of course the Indian Residential School Sur um, Survivor Society, I've donated to twice. And then I think I'm gonna do my September um, proceeds to them as well. Um, wow because of Truth and Reconciliation Day. Um, and then Two-Spirit People of First Nations and Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness. So a lot of these wow. I found from my own research, just looking around or knowing of these already. And then some of them I found actually, there's um, a Canadian charity website, Canada Helps, and you can specifically filter it to indigenous charities. And wow. the really thing is they have like a transparency um, kind of section and on it, it shows you how much they're spending on like employees versus how much they're giving out, which is really cool. So you can see like, how that's much a, you're getting too. That's a big one. Um, coming from corporate, we did a lot of stuff with charities. And one of the things that I noticed at a very young age was, you know, the people that I was golfing with, like when we would do these charity golf courses and we would invite people from all different charities and they were like the CEOs of them. Yeah were making so much money and it was something that was always on my mind on like why is the ceo making like a quarter of a million dollars a year working for a nonprofit? like that that's highly concerning like my belief is if you're working for a nonprofit, you want to do it out of like a goodness of your heart and obviously make a living wage where wherever you live and stuff but when you're making that much money, it, it's you start to be concerned on like, where does my money go when I donate yeah, to this? Exactly. So, so kudos to you for doing your homework. Yeah. Yeah, because some of those companies too, like you'll see the disparity too between like the lowest workers and the CEO. And it's like, if there's that kind of gap as well, it's kind of a problem because a lot of those times, like if you were working like with harm reduction or something like that, the people who are working at the lowest levels are some of the most important people who are doing um, like mm -hmm. the actual work that's supposed to be happening. So why is the person who's just making, you know, large decisions, but not actually really being involved with the actual work, making so much more? Yeah. Wow. So good. I've never heard of that website before. I'm going to look at it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool. And uh, I liked it because it had that. And then also like you could see like charities that were like getting tons of donations as well as ones that maybe weren't, which I thought was kind of good because then I was like, okay, well, some of these charities are doing awesome things, but they're not making that like getting very many donations. Like this mm -hmm. is, I want to donate to uh, because of that. Love it. So Brianna, you mentioned a couple of words and a lot of our listeners are in the US, so they might not be familiar. You said at the beginning that we're on unceded territory and then you donate to a lot of BIPOC charities. What do those words mean to you? Yeah. So unceded means um, territory or land that has not been surrendered and there's no treaty associated with it. Um, so what that means is that um, there was no war 
for that area. There was no battle. There was no, okay, we fought, we won, and this is now ours, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, one of the big myths about Indigenous people is that they lost and the land didn't belong to them because somebody else won it, like how a lot of people look at European history. And um, the reality is with Canada, um, I don't know as much about the states in regards to this, but with Canada, a lot of it is unseated. If you look at a treaty map of Canada, it's basically the southeastern kind of section. And there's a couple modern treaties on the West Coast, but uh, a lot of the North and a lot of BC isn't, uh, is all unseated territory. So basically when they decided, okay, this is Canada back in a, like, when Canada started, they just drew a big circle around uh, our section of the continent and said, this is Canada, without actually ever going um, and making a trade for this land like they have with a lot of the East Coast, where those people theoretically would have some sort of agreement and some sort of give and take. Granted, the government doesn't always acknowledge that or go through with it, but at least they have an agreement of... Um, like an actual trade for that was giving the land to Canada so that Canada could actually become a country and could actually harvest the resources and uh, be what it is today. And then BIPOC means Black Indigenous People of Color. Um, there's kind of two definitions to that. There is it as a list, Black people, Indigenous people, and other people of color, such as people from um, Asia or Africa, or I guess Africa or the Middle East area. Um, and then there's the other kind of definition, which is a little more specific pertaining to specifically Black people, Indigenous people who are of color. Um, so it's kind of a slightly different one. People tend to use it in the more general way, but I know that there is also that definition where it means specifically people who um, are darker skinned and tend to face even more oppression because of how they look in addition to um, kind of the things associated with uh, the way that they grew up and whatnot. Thank you. <laughs> Just so everyone is on the same page. And then, so this National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, um, what are your thoughts on that? And like as an Indigenous person in Canada, has have you come across any barriers or roadblocks because of that or no, because you are lighter skin? Yeah. Um, yeah, so for the first question, for Truth and Reconciliation Day, um, so the thing with that is it was a call to action in the TRC, which is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, mm -hmm. which was an investigation from 2008 to 2015 um, into residential schools, what happened when they were there, um, what happened to the children, um, who was involved, and what are the impacts that have happened since they closed. Um, because even though they ended back in the late 90s, there is still systems that have replaced it, um, such as the foster care foster system, care. birth alerts for sterilization, many things like that. Um, so it was something that Indigenous people that did that commission um, asked for. But the kind of issue that we're seeing right now this year with its implementation is that it is a federal holiday. So the federal government put it into place and said, okay, this is now a holiday. And that applies to all government workers. So people who obviously work in parliament, people who work for government agencies like postal workers, um, things like that, they all have a, like a holiday. So they get the day off uh, paid. But because the 
the majority of provinces didn't also accept this as a holiday in their province. Uh, only government workers really got it off this year in places such as BC, whereas people who uh, work in the private sector or nonprofit um, didn't get any sort of like day off. So a lot of indigenous people in particular still had to work that day, um, which is really unfortunate because that doesn't make any sense that the government who funded residential schools are now getting a day off and indigenous people who mm -hmm. had to go to these schools still have to go to work that day and see a lot of performative activism a lot of the time. People who just wore an orange shirt and scrambled to buy one, bought it from Walmart, not an indigenous mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And then the next day took it off and didn't even know anything about it. Thought it happened hundreds of years ago and yeah. whatnot. I love that we're having this conversation because Becca and I went back and forth about this. We saw a lot of things posted on social media um, and from what I saw, I will speak to what I saw was um, mostly white business owners, small business owners making this big deal about, you know, we have decided to close our business today because of truth and reconciliation and this and that. And I just like my stomach just started to turn a little bit because I was like, I don't think you as a white business owner really kind of, if I can say, like, have the right to go out there and speak to something that maybe you don't know about. I don't know enough about it to even speak to it or make that type of decision, especially because it's not a bank holiday. And the way that I looked at it as well on the business side is. I mean, we've been blessed in B.C. that we haven't been closed for as as much as other provinces, but some of these other provinces, they've been shut down so often that you you are now taking another day away from your employees, mm -hmm. saying that you're doing the right thing, whether you know they are or not, or if they're just trying to get out of a, an extra day of pay on the books. Mm -hmm. When in truth, if you really wanted to show your support maybe not keep your business open, but bring your team in, pay them yeah. and educate them. Maybe have an indigenous person come in and educate on why we are having this day, but mm -hmm. to go on social media and make a statement that you're closing your business because yeah. of, you know, things that you don't even know about did not sit well with me at all. Like it actually made my stomach turn Definitely. a little bit. Yeah. Um, the irony of like, um, you know, so many companies taking these holidays and turning it into like a promotional sale for the yeah. weekend. Um, like it's kind of ironic when you see things like Labor Day, which was traditionally about like striking and getting rights for uh, workers, turning into a weekend where these low paid workers have to work in retail. And it's like a total hell of a day because everybody's coming in and shopping and it's like, it's just so ironic doing something like that. Um, definitely, I think educating employees would have been a better uh, way to go about it, especially like if you are, yeah, like a white owned company and you don't really have any indigenous employees taking the day off doesn't like, it's kind of, it's, it is very performative. Uh, like, I feel like another way you could have been helpful is like if you were open that day, but maybe you donated um, like your profits from the day, like after you've paid your employees and covered your like fixed costs for the day, donating a little bit of that towards um, like the residential school survivor society or something like that. Um, I know some people who um, got the day off or people who did work, um, they took their paycheck from the day 
and they donated it. Which oh, was I love cool. that. Yeah, there yeah. was one guy who went viral for it. Um, I think he was a government worker, so he had a paid stat, and he took that pay, and he donated it, and he posted about it online, and then everybody else was like, that's awesome. I want to donate mine, so they started, I think, like a GoFundMe, mm -hmm. and everybody was putting their money in, and I don't remember where it got up to, but they ended up donating like a lot of money because all these people saw his good act and wanted to do the same. Yeah. I love that. We've um, we've been a big part of the Alzheimer's Association with WAX because mm -hmm. um, I lost my mother to it. And what we've done in Vegas every year is we shut down the store on a Saturday because that's when the walk is, which is mm -hmm. it's tough because it's the busiest day. But mm -hmm. I, I tell my staff that if you show up to the walk and you don't have to, then your wages that you would have been paid at the store that day will go towards the the charity. That's cool, too. So, like, you know, something like that. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one of the big things that I like to advocate to as well, because I know I have a lot of um, like customers who aren't indigenous, but of course, they can mm -hmm. still buy um, my products. Um, but it's like if you want to enjoy and like take part in the beautiful parts of indigenous culture, you should also be there for the, the uglier parts. Yeah, and that means like not only donating and like advocating, but like showing up and being on the front lines with us, because as we know, which we saw with a lot of women's marches is that when there are white people at these um, protests and everything, it's a lot safer for the people of color who are there because the police are gonna treat it differently. Unfortunately, that's the reality, but you know, showing that you are in solidarity is really helpful. So like, that's an amazing um, way to go about it is saying, cause there were um, a lot of events that happened that day. I didn't go, um, I just stayed home and beaded cause I'm like, I'm gonna try and take the day off. Like it's a, it's a tough day. Um, I'm, it's not really the day off, but for me, I would beat in my spare time if I wasn't doing it for money anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like beating then is work or do you feel like, cause you did it in your spare time before anyways, has it gotten to the point where it feels like work or is it still like, I would do this for free just because I love it. I would definitely do it for free because I love it. It's definitely. Oh that saying where it's like if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your, day life. your life yeah, yeah it definitely feels like that where it's like oh this is fun like I know um last Christmas like I took a little bit of time off because it was like people weren't really buying stuff once Christmas had kind of gotten started anyways mm -hmm. um and I had just done like a bunch of work so I'm like okay I'm gonna take two weeks off I'm gonna go see my family for a bit and just kind of hang out and I remember being like what am I gonna do like I'm just going to beat because I feel like I, want to, I like making pretty things and it's fun. Um, so it still definitely feels really fun. But there are days when I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I'm exhausted or like my hands hurt or my back hurts and I'm done. Um, and part of that, too, is another belief is when you're doing beadwork that um, you want to be putting good thoughts and energy into it. So if you are in a place where you're not feeling good and you're not um enjoying what you're doing you kind of want to put that down because you're directly kind of putting that energy into the pieces oh, like beadwork I is medicine that. and um yeah. putting bad thoughts into it you know isn't i good love thing. that so yeah. much yeah i think you should apply it to like everything you do yeah yeah also that's your own yeah. mental health too people will say that cook and bake too like oh my god this tastes so good what did you put it and like people will be love. like love <laughs> that's yeah. so true how did you learn how to bead? Um, so I'm mostly self-taught. Um, a friend of mine and I, we went to 
a um, like an indigenous kind of getaway th uh, thing where we got to learn a lot about um, our culture and learn from some elders. And we met a few people there who were beating and had a bunch of stuff. And I, I tried it out and I basically got like the rundown of, you know, put it on your needle, tack, put down six beads and then go through and tack every every couple beads. And I was like, uh, okay. And I tried that. And that was kind of the lesson I got. <laughs> so from there, I had to do it kind of the rest 100% on my own. Um, so I did a lot of like research online, trying to find tutorials and whatnot. And then um, I was really just doing it for fun. And I think my mom um, got into this beadwork group on Facebook. Um, where people would just like post their pretty pictures of beadwork, sometimes put them for sale and stuff. And um, so I'd post some of my stuff on there and try and get some feedback. Um, and then I did the same with uh, TikTok. I posted a couple times and people said like, oh, the way you're doing it is wasting a lot of thread. You should do this instead. And then as I did that, I slowly kind of honed my skill and figured out what I was doing. Um, but mainly it's been just me trial and erroring it <laughs> and hoping that it worked. And uh, I finally found a technique that works for me. And now I've gotten faster, better, everything is cleaner. Yeah. So that's how I've had to learn. And now you record YouTube videos to teach other people, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So that was my thing is I was like, okay, I had to figure this out on my, all on my own. I know other people are going to be in that position too. So like, let's put out some good tutorials because honestly, there's like a couple on YouTube. Some are good, but like some of them are not very good or like they're not well lit. So you can't really see what's going on or they're really slow. And I was like, okay, let's try and make something like a little bit better quality. Um, and kind of answer all the questions that I know I had. Like, I remember when I was first buying beads, I didn't even know what I was looking for. I just bought like this thing on Amazon and they were really crappy beads. And like, I still have stuff that's made out of them. And I'm like, oh, these are so terrible. And then I learned, oh, this is what you need. This is what needle and thread and size of beads. Cause like those three variables, you're like, how do you know that the thread will fit in the needle and the needle will fit in the bead? <laughs> because yeah. it's also tiny um, yeah. that like, you know, that half a millimeter matters so I had to figure that out and so I wanted to help other people because um, the thing for me um, as well as I know a lot of other people is that um, like I would classify myself kind of as a reconnecting indigenous person um, so the idea with that is that I didn't grow up with like an indigenous family I have my mom but she was adopted uh, back in the 60s um, oh, yeah a part of the yeah, 60 scoops. So that was when in um, the 1960s, it happened later too in the 90s. Um, but the Canadian government kind of took a lot of Indigenous kids from their families, a lot of the time unjustified, or they could have gone to another family member. My mom, um, apparently her grandma wanted to take care of her. Um, but at the time, that wasn't how adoption worked. Um, these days you would go to next of kin typically before you go into the foster care system. Um, but back then it was like, no, it's your parents or you're going to somebody else. And they would adopt these kids to white families 99% of the time. Um, a lot of the time too, they'd separate them and send them all the way down to the States. There's um, actually an amazing podcast called, I think, Finding Cleo wow. about um, this woman who's looking for her sister who was scooped and sent down to the States and has disappeared since. Um, so people like that, like my mom, um, 
didn't get to grow up with their culture. Um, she knew a couple native people, but for her too, she's having a really difficult time reconnecting because it's a lot more traumatic being an adopted person. Whereas for myself, it's a little more neutral in the sense that like, I always knew I was native. I never really looked native, but I knew it was always a part of me. And when I was reconnecting to it, it's been a little bit easier for me because there's not as much hurt kind of inside of me for it. And beating's been the, the best way I've found so far that's really helped me feel part of the community because um, with COVID, I mean, it's been hard, but online, there's such an amazing beating community, an amazing native community um, that being in that space, everyone is so accepting and lovely. And especially when I can't see people in person, it's been a really great way for me to feel a lot more secure in being Indigenous, looking the way that I do and growing up kind of without it. So I wanted to give that to other people because, you know, how can you reconnect with your culture? Art is an amazing way. And it's also, like I said, a great medicine that makes you feel so amazing, like putting um, kind of your all your effort and putting good thoughts into making something and then having something beautiful come out of it um, just makes you feel so much better, especially when it's something that it's like that you're reclaiming because the reality is it's not our fault that we didn't get to grow up with this, um, with our culture and, you know, reclaiming it is kind of like a good F you to all the people who, yeah. uh, who took it away from us. Yeah, I love that you said reconnecting. I've never heard that term before. Yeah. And I think I'm going to use it because I'm Métis, mm -hmm. but I've never really like identified with being Native or Indigenous because I look white. I grew up in like a cocky. I didn't grow up with the culture. Mm -hmm. And then in the last like year, when more information about the residential schools has come out, I was thinking about it. And I know like which ancestor I get the Métis side from. I know her name and like I've seen a picture of her, a really old picture. Um, but I was thinking, I was like, if she went through all the shit that she went through and for me to sit here and say like, well, I don't even really want to be a part of it because like, why would it matter? Like she's rolling around in her grave, you know, yeah, I, sh definitely. I really should because I think it would just make them so upset to learn that, that we're just like forgetting and, and not caring about it when they had to fight so hard to keep their culture. And oftentimes they didn't win, you know, that fight. So I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that now. <laughs> yeah. It's um, definitely something a lot of people have to say about ourselves because it's uh, just the reality of it. And it's true. It's like, you look back and it's like, um, every time that you're feeling that insecurity about like, oh, like, am I native enough? I know a lot of people struggle with that, especially um, people who are white passing or people who are Afro-Indigenous and also get the same treatment where you say, you don't look Indigenous, you look like you're black or you look, you don't look Indigenous, you look white. And it's like, that doesn't change the fact that I am because it's not skin tone that determines yeah. indigeneity, right? That's a total colonial God. perspective, right? So um, I know that feeling that insecurity, um, you kind of have to remember that every time you're feeling that, it means that you're fighting against the system that tried to erase you. And that, that even though a feeling's hard, it is a good thing and that you just have to keep pushing. Love that, stick it to the man. <laughs> <laughs> Fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you so much for coming today. I hope our listeners have learned a lot and maybe these are things that they hadn't heard about before. Um, I encourage everyone to do their own research and do a little Google about residential schools if you don't know what that means. Um, They did happen all over the world. Um, We're in Canada and a lot has come to light in the last year, year and a half about them, but they are all over the US as well around the same time period. I just find that Americans don't know about them at all, where at least in Canada, the younger generations, like I remember learning about it in school, not to the full extent, but at least that they existed. So um, I encourage everybody to look into the history of the land that you live on and um, stick it to the man any any chance you get. Exactly. Thank you so much for for joining us. And I can't wait for those earrings to go on sale that you're wearing today. Yeah, they're so sparkly. They remind me of like a flapper girl or a disco girl. Yeah, they're beautiful. They are called a fringe earring. So that kind of makes sense too. Perfect. Oh, there you go. I just love sparkles. That's why I love what I'm doing. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, really amazing to get to talk about this and to... um, and to just kind of have a platform to, to explain to people, especially like in the States, there's, like you said, that big disconnect um, with indigenous people, just because the way that the system is, um, it's been really amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. So if you want to find Brianna online and buy a pair of her earrings or um, another one of her pieces, she does painting as well. Her website is art by Brianna Dice. And her last name is D-E-I-S, not D-I-C-E. <laughs> and Brianna is B-R-E-A-N-N-A-D-E-I-S. So if you type in that anywhere on Google, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere you are, she does come up. She has beautiful earrings. They ship really fast considering mm-hmm. that they're handmade. And yeah, she's just absolutely killing it with all, everything. And then you can feel good about your purchase knowing that a portion of that is going towards good causes and yeah just really lovely person thank you so much for educating us today and if you want to write a review for the podcast you can do that on apple Podcasts. it really helps us out Uh, you can listen anywhere you find podcasts if you want to get in contact with us we are on social media at between both cheeks podcast or send us an email to comments at between both cheeks.com thank you thank you Bye. bye